It's Friday, May 21st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Everyone is expecting the summer travel season to be that comeback moment for airlines and the hospitality industry. But signs are showing that it may already be happening. TSA airport screenings are up 715% compared to the same time last year. If you're planning to fly, you might want to get your tickets soon. Prices are already creeping back up to pre-pandemic levels. Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how the U.S. travel surge is already here. Next, vaccine booster shots may be coming as early as September. The CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna have signaled that the extra shots will be needed because the durability of protection against coronaviruses is generally not lifelong. Caitlin Owens, healthcare reporter at Axios, joins us for how Pfizer and Moderna are prepping boosters in case a third shot is needed. Finally, get ready for hot vac summer, as pent-up demand to go out is at an all-time high. But be wary of the hype. Some expectations don't live up to reality. As some are preparing for a summer of hookups and fun, it can also come with awkward social interactions and even some ghosting. Lisa Bonos, reporter at the Washington Post covering dating and relationships, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I think, you know, people sort of went into um, the recovery thinking, oh, uh, travel's down, it's going to be cheap. Guess again, because uh, prices really are leading the comeback. Joining us now is Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Always good to be with you. Everybody's looking forward to traveling, uh, you know, as vaccinations are going up and, you know, there's a ton of pent up demand to go out there and just kind of have some fun, this leisure travel across the country. You know, summer was that prime point that everybody was waiting for and saying it's going to be really busy. Well, we're already starting to hit those numbers. We're seeing uh, an uptick in flights. We're seeing prices of flights tick back up to like 2019 levels. There's a lot of numbers that kind of tell the story of what we're seeing. And uh, one of the first numbers that you started off with in your article, Scott, was negative 35 percent or plus 715 percent. I want to say I want to use 715 uh, <laughs> yeah. percent. But uh, uh, this is uh, the number of screenings compared with the same time last year. This is what we're seeing right now, a 715 percent increase. TSA tracks the number of people going through checkpoints, and it, and it really uh, gives you a pretty good idea of how many people are traveling. And I was really struck by the contrast between the two, a, a, a 715% increase in one year, first half of May compared to first half of May of, of 2020, really shows you what's happening with the recovery. At the same time, the negative 35%, that's the number of screenings this year compared to the same period of May of 2019, so pre-pandemic, and we're still 35% down. And I think that's a pretty good indicator. Um, There are many restrictions on international travel, so there are really only a few places that people are going internationally right now. That's starting to loosen up itself, but you take out all that international travel, and you also take out business travel. Uh, there's only about 25 or 30 percent of the normal load of business travel. So that's down significantly. And even with all that, to only be 35 percent below 2019, I think is remarkable. It shows you in a different way the same thing, that there is this leisure travel surge going on that's really quite remarkable and I think has, uh, has caught airlines and everybody else off guard. 
That's the average round-trip ticket sold through early May for summer travel. The ticket's starting to creep back up and get expensive again. Yeah, very much. Um, You know, $408, that's only $18 cheaper than the same period of 2019, two years ago. So in terms of prices, we are back to normal. And actually, those prices are really sort of surging um, themselves. Uh, they were tickets for summer travel, and it's, it's memor- what we looked at was Memorial Day to Labor Day. Tickets for travel in that period, they were a whole lot cheaper if you bought them last year in, in November, December, took a chance that we'd be able to travel uh, this summer and bought tickets. That worked out for people. Uh, people who are buying now, they're going to be paying a whole lot more. And so... I think, you know, people sort of went into um, the recovery thinking, oh, uh, travel's down, it's going to be cheap. Guess again, because uh, prices really are leading the comeback. Right. Now, okay, this is a little kind of a fun one. $326,500. That's the total amount of fines that the FAA has proposed for 18 passengers only, only 18 passengers for their disruptive behavior. A lot of this had to do with masks being mentioned as a trigger for a lot of arguments. Alcohol was a factor in a lot of these other things. But these are the people that are getting fined for being unruly on the flights. And I put this in because that 326,500 is such a big number. It was really struck. The FAA is trying to be very serious about disruptive behavior on board airplanes. So the fines they're issuing are really huge, um, averaging more than $18,000 per person. They're higher if assaults were involved uh, with flight attendants. The highest one was actually a proposed fine of more than 52000 against a Delta passenger who not only hit a flight attendant twice in the face, once after escaping plastic handcuffs, but <laughs> also tried to open the cockpit door. Obviously, a major, major no-no. But there were fines, uh, you know, $30,000. If you hit a flight attendant, you were in the $30,000 range. And if you weren't, uh, you know, I think the moral of the story is that masks and alcohol for some people are a really bad combination. For international travel, we mentioned it a little bit, negative 76%. That's what we're seeing in international travel, except for beach destinations like Mexico and the Caribbean. And then other just big winners, I think you had 438%. That was the increase of seats that were flying to Dutch Harbor, Alaska. Other big winners in all this are Florida. A lot of destinations in Florida. San Francisco, a big loser in uh, flights going out there. The small airports are kind of fun, right? There weren't many seats going into Dutch Harbor, Alaska before. So, yes, the number of seats is up 438%. Um, It's not a lot of seats. But a whole lot more seats going into Bozeman, Montana or Sarasota, Florida, as you say. You know, what was interesting, what jumped out at me was among big airports, Miami is a, is a significant winner. And the number of seats in the June schedule compared to June 2019, so again, a two-year comparison going back pre-pandemic, number of seats in Miami up 35%. Miami was a big hub to begin with, and to think that it's a third bigger already is really extraordinary. Now, so a lot of that, I think, reflects the popularity of Florida, but also connections into the Caribbean and, and even South America, Central America. It's just interesting, I think, to see airports that are already busier than they were before the pandemic. Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. This could be come sooner than late, I believe from September, October. But this is something, again, 
that uh, the data need to confirm. And uh, also, this is something that uh, the healthcare authorities, in our case here in the US, CDC, uh, will have to see what FDA approves and then makes a recommendation how best to protect the American people. Joining us now is Caitlin Owens, healthcare reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. We're already hearing talks about a possible booster shot for our vaccines in the fight against coronavirus. We've been hearing about it basically since the beginning of this stuff, uh, you know, with the rise of variants and really just not knowing how long immunity from the vaccines really lasts. It's hard to tell. We just started using them. So uh, we only have available data up to the point from when they were first administered. But uh, largely, the thought has been that COVID-19 will be with us for some time, uh, will require some uh, booster shots along the way, maybe something annually. There at Axios, you guys held a virtual event and got to speak to the CEO of Pfizer And uh, he mentioned that they're already kind of uh, looking into it. They're already seeing some data that uh, people could need something eight to 12 months after their shots. So, Caitlin, tell us a little bit about what we're hearing on this. So the Pfizer CEO did say eight to 12 months. Caution that we are still waiting for more data to come in. I also talked to the Moderna CEO, and he also suggested a similar timeline, which both CEOs said that this could be happening as soon as September. Um, just because if you do the math, first Americans got their shots in December, January, eight months after that, that's September. Experts caution that we still don't know, but it is, I mean, there is a growing school of thought that it seems safe, that it's, it seems safe to say at the very least, it's possible that we could all require a booster within a year of our first round of shots. With this uncertainty, as I mentioned, kind of how long the immunity from the vaccines last, you have to prepare for this already. We can't wait until we're in another wave of cases and things are going up. Hospitalizations could be going up. And then we're planning on, oh, well, what about these booster shots? The plans need to be started now and worked on along the way. And as uh, they mentioned, you know, once the data comes out, then we'll know a little bit better on how to proceed for, you know, a booster shot program. We can all rest assured that there's a lot of work being done on this right now. There's a lot of clinical trials underway to see that the effective boosters, whether they're needed, just to examine how long protection lasts. Um, there's a lot of monitoring of real-world evidence. And look, just to be frank, and I think you know, there's a business incentive here for Pfizer and Moderna and any other vaccine maker CEO uh, if to have a booster ready if it's necessary because then you can sell it. So I think we're still figuring out if and when we would need a booster, but I think that if the answer is yes, that effort is well underway. And that was some of the criticism also, what you were mentioning, the business side of things, saying, hey, talks of booster programs may be premature. And you also got to think of what it means for these drug companies, for Pfizer, Moderna, all of them, for their businesses. You know, if they're going to be pumping out vaccines constantly, well, obviously it's going to look good for them. But just like we said, you know, you got to prepare for it regardless. This is a pretty delicate subject because the other thing is that if you keep talking about boosters, there's some concern that that could make people who haven't yet gotten their shot more reluctant to do so. You know, if they think that their protection is going to disappear overnight or if some variant's going to come and they're no longer protected. So, you know, there's a lot of hedging that has to be done in this conversation to say, hey, it's common to need booster shots of vaccines. It's looking like that could be within a year of your first round of shots. We're monitoring the situation, so be ready. But also, even if your protection does fade with time, you don't have to worry that you're going to wake up tomorrow and no longer be protected. This would be a gradual process. So, you know, I think it's just something to be aware of that, you know, especially if you got your shot very early on, 
pay attention to what the data that is coming out is saying. And, you know, just be aware of the chance that you could need a third in the fall or later. And so there will be plenty of information on this coming in the next few months. The Pfizer CEO also spoke about how many doses that they're manufacturing this year. I think he said 3 billion doses this year and increasing it beyond. Obviously, the United States has the amount that we need. We're hitting this little moment where, you know, we need more people to step up and get those vaccinations. But pretty confident he was about meeting the demands for not only for the U.S., but, you know, for the world as well. He did say he said three billion this year and then four billion next year. I'm not granted that's seven billion and it's a two dose vaccine, so that's not enough for the entire world. You know, and we're talking about next year. That's a long time from now. So there's no easy way or super visible way out of this predicament we're in right now, which is that there's just no perfect global vaccine. It's hard to figure out how to get vaccines around the world and it's hard to figure out how to get um, the world to herd immunity, whatever that looks like, in a timely manner. You know, so I think Pfizer is pretty, because of course they are, right? But, you know, I think they're pretty outspoken about we're going to manufacture a lot of doses and we're also making it easier to distribute and store, which is great. But I think that doesn't completely solve the world's vaccine problems by any means. Caitlin Owens, healthcare reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now that we've started doing some of those things, the not so great parts that we tended to conveniently forget about are popping up, like being hungover, losing your baggage (laughs) or having travel delays, uh, you know, dating again and having people ghost. Joining us now is Lisa Bonos, reporter at The Washington Post covering dating and relationships. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Thanks for having me. You know, we're starting to reopen after the pandemic. A lot of States are easing restrictions. There's a lot of pent-up need to go back out and have some fun, get out there and do the normal things that we were doing. And so a lot of people are pointing to, I love the way you put in the article, Hot Vax Summer, and how it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, people are just ready to go out and and have fun. But the big question comes in, you know, can it possibly live up to the hype? You know, people are so excited for these things. And then we get to it and it often bums us out. I want to use this line that you had in the article because I thought it was very funny. It says, if vaccinated America is newly single and rebounding hard after leaving a terrible relationship, which is totally true. You know, we want to go out and just do these things in excess now. So, Lisa, tell us about Hot Vax Summer and what people are expecting out there, because you spoke to a lot of people about this. I did speak to a lot of people. People are excited to get back out there and do the normal things we used to do, like go to bars and concerts and travel and things like that. And then, But now that we've started doing some of those things, the not-so-great parts that we tended to conveniently forget about are popping up, like being hungover, losing your baggage <laughs> or having travel delays, uh, you know, dating again and having people ghost all the stuff that is not so great about some of these things. Some of the things you'd never expected to ask people in follow-up questions is like, how long was your hangover or uh, how bad was it? What else did you experience besides it just feeling crappy? (laughs) So I got to crack out of that. But it's so true. These are the positives and negatives of getting back out there the way we used to. So again, back to this whole notion of hype around it, though, because we're so excited about doing these things. Yeah, those bummers can kind of put a damper in your whole vibe about this. 
Totally. In psychology, there's actually something called rosy prospection. And that's a term describing how looking forward to something like a party or a vacation can sometimes make you happier than actually doing that thing. You don't think about like that your flight might get delayed or your beach day might get ruined by rain, things like that. So we could be experiencing hot back summer just all in our heads, dreaming about these things uh, a little bit more than doing them sometimes. A lot of people are urging, you know, some type of, you know, there's just saying, hey, it might not happen like this as, as well. You know, people are saying, oh, I'm ready to go out and hook up. I'm ready to go out and do all that fun stuff. But you made a note in the article how the pandemic hit at a time when people started trending in a different way. Younger people weren't uh, having as much casual sex. Singles wanted longer committed relationships. So uh, there is this pent up demand for going out and having fun, but it might not even come back that way because before that we were trending the opposite way. In one survey that I looked at, 23% of young people, 18 to 29, hadn't had sex in the previous year. You know, there's just been not a lot of hooking up these days. And I think if you spent this year mostly alone, you probably want to go back out there and like find someone to just kind of lock in that relationship for the next disaster, right? You kind of had a taste of what being alone in the extreme can be like. And a lot of people want to change that. How do uh, dating apps figure into all of this? Because we know that there's always people that are want to hook up on the dating apps and everything. But even people are saying, I think Hinge was an example you use where people are saying that they're more interested in settling down still right now. And to your point, you know, that introspection that people had over the pandemic, they've changed. And, uh, you know, they don't want some of that craziness even. When I spoke to the director of race relationship science for Hinge, she talked about how the pandemic was making singles realize that they don't have unlimited time to find somebody. And she was also finding that people were being more upfront with each other about what they are looking for. You get a sense of like not wanting to waste other people's time and stuff like that. But, you know, I also spoke to singles who were upfront with one another about that they liked each other and that kind of thing. And then, you know, they still got ghosted. So <laughs> not everybody out there is looking right. for a relationship. We have somebody else in the story who said that dating apps have never felt more desolate than they do now. I think we're maybe excited by the prospect about getting out there, but then, you know, you get a bunch of matches and it's the same problem that people had before if they took time off from dating. Oh gosh, who do I respond to? Who do I actually go out with? And a lot of people's just social stamina is lower and they want to see their friends in addition to dating. And we're finding that we can't exactly do as much as we used to be able to do before the pandemic. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the summer develops. I think that this whole notion of hot vac summer is going to be a little bit of both. You're going to see stories and, and know people who are going crazy and doing all the wild things that they couldn't do this past year. And then you're going to see the flip side, you know, people try to be a little more committed to each other and themselves. So it's going to be a little bit of both, I think, when the summer actually finishes playing out. And I think one thing that after we had this year of extreme nothingness, kind of those little pleasures will feel wild, right? Like the first time <laughs> right. I went to a, a dinner party and had was able to have dinner with five other people that I used to see all the time. It just felt so good to see them, but also like we were doing something really wrong even though everybody was vaccinated and it was technically okay. Lisa Bonos, reporter at the Washington Post covering dating and relationships. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating. 
and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Diver is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.